From Pentagon leaks to light beer blunders and now even racist roads, we're off to a great start this week, and the show starts now. Pete Buttigieg is a moron. The bar over there at Team Biden is admittedly very low, but just when we think it couldn't get any worse, especially considering last week Joe told us to go lick the world, well, Pete decided to pull his share of the loser weight with this expert diagnosis of racist roads. Take a listen. We've got a crisis when it comes to roadway fatalities in America. We lose about 40,000 people every year. It's a level that's comparable to gun violence. And we see a lot of racial disparities, black and brown Americans, tribal citizens and rural residents, much more likely to lose their lives, whether it's in a car or as a pedestrian being hit by a car. There are a lot of reasons uh, related to discrimination, related to uh, the, even the ways that roads are designed and built. Who has access to uh, a safe street design that's got crosswalks and good lighting? who doesn't have that access that can drive disparities and we have a, a responsibility to act on that <laughs> okay let me get this straight pete is really trying to tell us roads have been designed in this country to be systemically racist against people of color so city planners nationwide just sat down one day and said you know what let's design these roads to make sure black and brown people are easier to hit and run over i'm sure that was it Pete has now told us climate change is racist, construction is racist, infrastructure is racist, and now roads and crosswalks. But I guess trains are not, given he doesn't give a rat's ass about the poor white Trump supporters in East Palestine, Ohio. Pete is the poster boy for white guilt. And as much as I can't stand Al Sharpton, Pete is so much worse. He's like your white liberal neighbors who have those Black Lives Matter signs prominently displayed in their yards in a pathetic attempt to be cool with actual black people. He pretends to be so down with the culture, but we all know he listens to Taylor Swift and would never be caught dead in an inner city past dusk. Pete, you literally could not get any whiter or any more disingenuous. Please, just stop. Still ahead, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about those brave Wyoming sorority sisters who sued the organization for permitting a creepy biological male into the sisterhood. Well, now the judge is putting their lives at risk. More next. A couple weeks ago, I featured this story in my Losers of the Week. In case you missed it, take a listen. Well, seven past and present sorority members are suing the Kappa Kappa Gamma Sisterhood for its 2022 decision to admit transgender inductee Artemis Langford to the University of Wyoming chapter. These actual women are not seeking damages. They just want an end to this madness and are asserting quite accurately that certain sorority officials have perverted their mission of 150 years to unite women. And why is this a problem, you ask? Well, this bio man is set to live with the women in the sorority house in the coming year. And fun fact, doors to the sorority house's communal bathrooms do not lock, and the primary bathroom on the second floor does not have a private area to disrobe before showering. The lawsuit also alleges this Artemis man often sits and watches the females in the house, which is creepy enough, but it gets worse. The lawsuit alleges he is sexually interested in women and that he has a profile on Tinder through which he seeks to meet women. Oh, and while watching members enter the sorority house, he had an erection visible through his leggings, the suit says, and other times he just has a pillow on his lap. Well, no freaking duh, because this is a man who is posing as a woman to fulfill his sick perversions and do it under the protected guise of being trans. 
So do these brave women, I say. Sue the pants off the sorority, no pun intended. Well, there is a new and disturbing twist to this story. The Wyoming judge presiding over the case has ruled these seven real females may not be given anonymity in their lawsuit and must use their real names even after threats from the trans activist Rainbow Mafia. Not only are women being denigrated, exploited, mocked, and replaced by biological men, now in order to stand up for themselves, they have to put their lives in danger. Oh, goody. Unbelievable. And where the hell are the feminists? Joining me now with his take on that and so much more is senior digital strategist Greg Price. All right, Greg, you are my go-to person for everything, you know, latest on the Rainbow Mafia. So I remember the story a few weeks ago. I was so happy to see that the sorority was standing up. All right, Wyoming, it's a conservative state. But now hearing that they have to put their names out there with everything and, you know, the trans violence that's been occurring lately doesn't sound like such a great idea to me. No, it's absolutely disgusting what is happening to these sorority members at the University of Wyoming. The details of their lawsuit against this guy and against their sorority are incredibly disturbing. Like, imagine being a 19-year-old college student in your sorority house, and there's this, you know, this six-foot-two, 200-pound guy with a dick and balls watching you change and, you know, getting, getting erect at the sight of you in your house. Obviously, you would feel uncomfortable, but this is what they are forcing upon women. Riley Gaines, the swimmer, talked about how the NCAA forced them to change in locker rooms with Leah Thomas and how uncomfortable it made them feel, and they did it without their consent, and the same thing is happening here. And it's absolutely disgusting. And as you said, where are the feminists? Where is now the National Organization for Women and all of these other groups that supposedly stand up for women's rights to what, where are they standing up for these sorority girls being forced to change with this guy in, in their sorority house, being forced to live with a guy who's obviously making them uncomfortable. They're silent and they're either silent because they're fully in support of this because feminism today is forcing men to live amongst women and change amongst women, or they're just afraid of speaking out against it for fear of the backlash of being labeled a turf and being labeled you know, all of these other names that the pronoun mafia throws at their opponents. And it's disgusting. It's the most disgusting thing about it is all of the women's rights groups who are just silent about this and about all of the other instances like this that we're seeing around the country. And, you know, Greg, I'm really so confused because over the last couple of years, we've been told that pretty much everything is offensive. You can't sing Baby, It's Cold Outside because there's no consent. You know, in The Little Mermaid, you have to change the song to include consent. There's all this about consent. The Me Too movement has been all over this for the last several years. But now consent means nothing because now, because this trans craze has entered the picture, now you don't even need to consent to having a man change next to you in a bathroom or a locker room or in your own freaking house. So I'm wondering, is this consent thing, is this a thing of the past? Are we no longer doing that anymore? Yeah, this is where liberal feminism has brought us, forcing real women to have to go through these things. That is what their ideology has naturally led to. And yeah, apparently it is a thing of the past. You, you can see how the Me Too movement is doing these days. I think the greatest indication of them all of how the Me Too movement failed was when Bill Clinton gave a whole ass speech at the DNC in 2020. And now he hasn't been canceled from public life yet. But yeah, this is what is happening. And it's only going to get worse. We've seen the stories about biological men in female prisons, the sexual assaults that have occurred. It's really disgusting. Like, obviously, Riley Gaines has been more outspoken about this. And the only way that it's going to end, the only way that this is truly going to end is when feminists start speaking out against it. Obviously, people like you and me, conservatives, especially conservative women like yourself, have spoken out very loudly about this. But the only way it's going to actually end 
is when women, when when female athletes and prominent women who are not conservatives stand up and say enough is enough, that does, that women deserve to feel comfortable in their private spaces and that this should not be tolerated. Oh, I agree with you. And I wonder, too, if a way that we could end all of this is we've seen this before, that actual men who are upset that this is happening have said, all right, well, just to show you and prove a point here, we're going to all identify as women. We're going to all compete in women's sports. And they're just going to show you that it's going to be laughable. So maybe if they give them really a taste of their own medicine, maybe that's another solution here. But you're right. Until the left does something about it, then nothing's going to happen. And I have to say, the fact that Caitlyn Jenner has to be the one to take this on for conservatives and especially trying to represent both communities here. That's laughable that it has to all fall on Caitlyn Jenner to be the spokesperson for actual women's sports and women's rights. But I want to move to another thing that the left loves, and that's gun control. So I believe you tweeted this out. It was wonderful. I love to watch little liberals cry at guns. Let's take a listen to this liberal and his tale of shooting his first gun. And then I want to get your reaction. So I shot a gun for the first time today, and I've always been told by Republicans that after the first time, I'll be in favor of guns and I'll want more guns. But for me, it was the exact opposite. I realized how powerful these guns are. And at a moment's notice, they can be used to take someone's life. And the fact that in many states in this country, you can walk into one of these stores and 10 minutes later walk out with an AR-15 is absurd. This experience made me want more gun control, not less. I bet he's really popular with all the ladies. He seems like a real manly man. I hope there's not a draft anytime soon because I have a feeling things aren't going to go well for the U.S. of A. in that case. Greg, what's your thoughts on this lovely little gentleman here? So if you don't know who that is, his name is Harry Sison, and he has a massive following on TikTok of over like 700,000 followers. And the White House is now apparently using him, not in a paid role, but as, as one of their influencers to promote Joe Biden to generate to Gen Z on social media in 2024. He's like the top guy with this because of the massive following he has on TikTok. And that video was really funny. You know, just it was just a few generations ago that 19 and 20 year olds were storming Omaha Beach. The average soldier in the Vietnam War was 19 years old. And today, 20 year olds wet themselves when they shoot guns for the first time. And I think that's, you know, very sad. And, uh, you know, I don't think most of I think most of Gen Z looks at that and says, hmm, I don't know if that guy is my spokesman. He, he's declared himself the spokesman of Gen Z. But I think most people look at that and just really cringe. But this is these are the type of people that the Biden White House is putting out there uh, in order to try and appeal to Gen Z in 2024. And, you know, I think we're, I think it's it's cringe to look at, but it's also really effective what promoting themselves through these influencers. And that's something conservatives need to be doing too with our own. Yeah, I agree. Not on TikTok because that's a communist platform. But I, at least I have to say about this kid, at least he's still a man. At least he's still wearing men's clothes and not a prom gown. I mean, I'm sure at some point we will see him transition into some fun little flirty little black dress to get more attention because that is really what Gen Z loves these days. But you're exactly right. I mean, when we look at the landscape of our young people and just how fragile they are in general, it makes me puke and I'm only 30 years old. I also want to say back to this gun control point. I don't know what your take is on this, but I got to tell you, Greg, I grew up in South Dakota, right? So every time I hear about these shootings and it's like, well, we need to have more gun control. We need less guns in this country. 
People like me who grew up where I grew up say, no, every time there's a shooting or there's lawlessness in the streets, I want more guns because I see the terror that's being inflicted on my country and I want to be able to defend myself. But do you think that this gun control argument, do you think it's making a dent in some conservatives? Because here in Tennessee, our own governor is passing some gun control measures and he's supposedly a Republican. So I wonder if this is going to be the new normal. Well, no, Republicans obviously need to hold the line when it comes to protecting Second Amendment rights. There's a massive propaganda campaign in the media in order to cause people to misunderstand where gun violence in our country actually comes from. They cite all of these statistics about, you know, how guns are now the number one killer of children under the age of 18. And what they conveniently leave out is that there's a massive racial disparity there. The number of black kids who have been killed by guns has skyrocketed over the last year, whereas white and Hispanic kids has remained essentially flat. They also never tell you that rifles of all kinds, not just AR-15s, are responsible for less than 2% of all gun deaths in America. The vast, 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 vast majority of gun deaths are come from handguns, not rifles. And so when you look at all, when you look, when you read about mass shootings in the corporate media, all of the high profile ones involve the AR-15, and that's where it gets all of the attention. But the actual drivers of gun violence in our country come from handguns in mostly cities run by Democrats and Soros-funded prosecutors. And their solutions, which is to not go after the criminals in these cities, to enact soft on crime policies and elect DAs that don't actually enforce the gun laws on the books, their solution is not tackling any of their, that. Their solution is to criminalize the right of law-abiding gun ownership. And that's, I think, I think conservatives need to do a better job at communicating all of those facts to the general population, because Democrats scream and scream about gun control, even though, as I just said, what the policies they advocate for would do nothing but take rights away from law abiding citizens. It would not do anything to actually address mass shootings. And the only purpose of it is to raise money, be loud on the Internet, gain retweets while not actually doing anything to solve the problem. Oh, I agree. And that's also the same case when we're having this hearing today. Uh, Jim Jordan is leading it, of course, in New York to talk about crimes and the victim of crime and the lawlessness sweeping our nation. And as we could have anticipated, the Democrats were already saying, if you want to get rid of crime, you have to get rid of guns. They're going right back to those same talking points. But actually, these people in these cities, as you mentioned, especially inner cities, are the ones that are suffering. It didn't make much of an impact in the midterms. Do you think in 2024, these people living in these Democrat-run hellholes, do you think that they're going to maybe reconsider their vote for Democrats? Or is this just too far gone at this point? Are we not getting the message out loud and clear? Well, I mean, in cities like Chicago and Los Angeles and New York City, they'll never stop electing. They're never going to stop electing people like Lori Lightfoot people and people like uh, Bill de Blasio. They're, they're literally never going to stop electing these people. They do it. Time and time and time again, even though we all see what the results of it is, you can't even walk down the street in Chicago anymore without getting shot. You hear about all the people getting shot there every single day. They're they're never going to stop voting for these types of people. In in New York City, they're never going to stop voting for district attorneys that will let criminals out of jail while prosecuting people like Jose Alba, the bodega worker who defended himself from being stabbed. That's just the reality of the situation is that you know, they keep electing these people. Chicago went through four years of Lori Lightfoot and decided to elect a guy who was arguably going to be more insane than her. Like that is that is fully crazy. If you can't if you live under Lori Lightfoot for four years and and voluntarily choose to elect someone with the same politics, that's not a place that I want to live. And that's not a place any conservative should want to live. It's, you, everyone should move out of the city. Move, just move out of the cities at that point, because you're 
you're never going to change it like that. I'm like, I don't know if there's, there's literally not going to be a way to do it unless, you know, every Republican in the world starts moving to Chicago and New York City. Which, which is probably never going to happen. Not gonna do. Yeah, we are definitely not in favor of that. We just like to keep the ones that bring their policies and keep them out of Tennessee and Florida and Texas. And I think you're right. A lot of the people that do leave, they do understand what the problems are. So hopefully at least we have that somewhat of a safeguard there and the red states will get redder and the blue states will get bluer. The problem is these blue states have so many votes <laughs> that we're putting ourselves into this big situation heading into 2024. And I got to tell you, Greg, I want to shift to 2024 because I haven't really heard your take on all this yet. And I'm very curious. So we know in the last several weeks, it's really been the discussion has been Trump versus DeSantis. DeSantis has not even announced yet. We expect he's going to in the coming months. But the attacks from the Trump team and the mega and the America first on Ron DeSantis at this point without an announcement, do you think that they're warranted and do you think that they're helpful to the party as a whole? Well, look, the Trump versus DeSantis fight is happening, whether we like it or not. Those are the two candidates who are going to be in the running for the nomination. And in its election, people, people are going to attack each other. That's just the reality of elections. I think, you know, do, I think doing it this early, I think, has been vastly unproductive. And, the, and I'll give you and the reason why is because we just had this election in Wisconsin where liberals took control of the state Supreme Court and are now probably going to overturn the state's voter ID law. And they're probably going to uh, bring back ballot harvesting, which when the court was controlled by conservatives, they outlawed. They're probably going to overdo that in what is the key swing state in 2024. And conservatives virtually spent no time paying attention to this race. Instead, they were talking about Trump and DeSantis. And that's perfectly fine to do. But in doing so, we completely ignored this major election that has major implications on the, the key state in the 2024 election. So I think so, you know, I think it, a lot of it has been vastly unproductive. And I think if you're a Republican voter, you should go in, into this saying, you know what, Not, no politician deserves my vote. Trump doesn't deserve my vote. DeSantis doesn't deserve my vote. It hasn't even started yet. What I would say is you go into it, you, you see how the race plays out, vote for who you think is best. And, you know, I don't, you, you shouldn't hitch your wagon to just one of these particular guys. I think that's 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 not my style. The way I look at it, at it is, you know, what do Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis disagree on in terms of policy? Virtually nothing. And, you know, I don't you know, that doesn't mean that Trump was a bad president, as DeSantis people say. It also doesn't mean DeSantis is some globalist neocon show like Trump people are saying. He's the best governor in America and he's the best president of our lifetimes. And what they're attacking each other over is who was more right or wrong about COVID lockdowns and vaccines, which they were both wrong on. Everybody was wrong about lockdowns and, vac and vaccines. And so, you know, just go into it and say, hey, neither of these people deserve my vote. And whoever I think is the best, when it, whoever you think is the best come election day after seeing the process play out, that's who you should vote for. But in, we shouldn't focus it on so much that we lose track of things like this Wisconsin Supreme Court case that we just lost. Yeah, you're exactly right. And here's what really pisses me off. All right. I'm a Trump supporter, Greg. I'm very much so a Trump supporter. But I'll tell you this. This is what angers me. You're exactly right about that. So Trump's number one thing has been revenge for 2020 and his indictment and everything else. But it really has been a lot focused on 2020. 
Okay, so now you've got this case in Wisconsin where you could have effectively had a safeguard for election integrity, the thing that you claim to care the most about. So why wasn't your ass in Wisconsin making a difference with your huge rallies and your huge megaphone? Why are you only focused on yourself? That's what really frustrates me as a Trump supporter, and that is what really turns me off because I don't think it really matters about this indictment in New York or a potential one in Georgia. None of this is going to matter to the average American when they're going to vote in 2024. They want to know who's going to make their life better. And when you've got Donald Trump just talking about himself all the time, he loses me on that. I'm pissed about the indictment, but he's lost me because that's the only thing he really wants to talk about is himself. I don't think I'm the only one that feels that way as a Trump supporting conservative. Well, yeah, you're obviously not. Some people who were, you know, the biggest supporters of Trump in 2016 and 2020 have have, you know, conveyed exactly what you think. And I agree with most of it. I think a lot. I think, you know, I think Trump's message in 2016 that was so effective to millions of people was, you, you know, everything is rigged and you're getting screwed over. The I'm getting screwed over doesn't really you know, I don't think that affects, you know, people as much. And you're right. There should have been a lot more attention played to this Supreme Court case in Wisconsin that was so critical for 2024. And, you know, it wasn't even just Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis who were in Wisconsin. Like the national GOP was asleep at the wheel, too, because, like, you know, we were focusing on it so much that we forgot that it's, it, you know, the little local elections matter on, you know, when it comes you can't win the broader elections until you win the local ones. You know, that's that's a big reason why I recently started working for the State Freedom Caucus Network and now work entirely in local politics. because I think a lot of that really matters. And, you know, I think, again, like I said, it's it's an it's an election. It's a debate. People are going to attack each other. Donald Trump and Ted Cruz relentlessly attacked each other in 2016. The same thing is going to happen especially when Ron DeSantis event announces that he's running. Like that's just the reality of elections. Um, but you know, we, we need to, op- we need to pay attention to these little th- these little elections and we need to not let the overall mission of winning in 2024 over overshadow that because no matter who the Republican nominee is, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, they're going to face, you know, the same attacks from the left. They're going to face the same challenges when it comes to ballot harvesting and all of the terrible voting uh, laws in states like Arizona and probably Wisconsin. And when the Supreme Court, uh, you know, strikes down all of these voter integrity laws, they're going to be facing the same things. And so we need that. That's what I think conservatives in the National Republican Party should be focusing on rather than just entirely on Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis. Yeah, get to work, do the groundwork that it takes to win and have small victories along the way. And then you can get the big victory. But we just want to go straight for the big victory because we love to wear our hats and we love to cheer for somebody in a big fight. But then all the little fights we forget about. You're exactly right. I hope that we can get that message out loud and clear. I know you do a fantastic job of it. Thank you so much, as always, for enlightening us. And thank you for all of your tweets. You're one of my go-to sources on Twitter. And, Greg, I'll talk to you very soon. Thank you so much, Johnny. Great to be on with you. Still ahead, it's been a no-good, dirty, rotten couple of weeks for Anheuser-Busch. But does the company deserve it? My final thoughts are next. Bud Light is desperately trying to recover from its major transgression, but so far it's going really badly. And it just so happens I've got some final thoughts. Yeah, folks, we are still talking about Bud Light, and here's why. The apology from Anheuser-Busch CEO Brendan Whitworth late last week wasn't a freaking apology. 
I'm not going to read the whole statement because, quite frankly, it's tone deaf and skirts the entire point, which leads me to believe this woman may have written it. But basically, CEO Brendan Whitworth said the company never intended to divide people, peace, love, inclusion, blah, blah, blah. Let's go, Brendan. You missed the whole point. And it's really so simple. Acknowledge that the partnership with a man who puts on a prom dress and pretends to be a teenage girl was a really stupid marketing move, and it pissed off your actual customers. It's that simple. But this apology, or lack thereof, has divided even the conservative community with a very unlikely voice coming to Bud Light's defense. Don Jr. Anheuser-Busch totally shit the bed with this Dylan Mulvaney thing. I'm not, though, for destroying an American and iconic company for something like this. Trust me, the memes have been so good. I'm sitting there chomping at it like I want it. But like when I actually look into it, I'm not going to blame the whole company for the inaction or the stupidity of someone in a marketing campaign that got woke as hell. The company itself doesn't participate in the same leftist nonsense as the other big conglomerates. Frankly, they don't participate in the same woke garbage that other people in the beer industry actually do, who are significantly worse offenders when I looked into it. They'd be one of the more conservative-leaning companies in America. So they've been put on notice. I'm leaving them alone. I think you should probably do the same. If they do it again, they've been warned. But in the grand scheme of things, man, Anheuser-Busch, a lot less woke than the rest of corporate America. So I don't know that we want to kill the guys that are the least of the offenders. So Don's perspective is that the Anheuser-Busch brand and family has been pretty good to Republicans over the years, so we should cut them some slack. I disagree. Bud Light has lost billions over this debacle, and it's maybe the first time conservatives have ever had the intestinal fortitude to send a message and actually fight back against the wokeism that we just bitch about. So no, I won't cut Bud Light any slack until they acknowledge that they effed up. I want to know who made the call to have Dylan Mulvaney as the brand partner, and I want to know if that person still works for the brand. And this isn't advocacy for cancel culture, it's business 101. If someone at a company makes a decision, and that decision costs the company billions, then that person should probably find a new job. But Anheuser-Busch won't do that because Anheuser-Busch is still scared of the Rainbow Mafia and more concerned with appeasing folks that aren't even likely their customers over we the people who actually drink domestic light beer. And that's the point here. The company and its CEO were trying to walk a fine line and play the middle which would have been fine and actually a good idea, but too bad you decided to jump way over to the left and push the LGBTQ barbecue. So here we are, Bud Light. You dug your own grave, and you don't have the decency or the wherewithal to acknowledge it. So guess what? Anheuser-Busch will continue to hemorrhage money and customers. You can put out as many ultra, super, pro-America ads as you want. Until you went up to your F up, we don't care. Sincerely, your actual customers. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to catch, out, catch OutKick's YouTube channel and subscribe. From Nashville, God bless and take care.